Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the worst territory in the world. The first and only podcast talking about the midwest wrestling scene but more specifically kansas city wrestling and why or why not are we the worst territory in the world i am your host gabe miller sitting here with chris goff chris how are you doing this week and are you excited about the nwl hey gabe good to good to be back you know i the thing about the nwl is just i i love talking about it with everyone that was involved in it because you know there are a lot of fans of the NWL in the Midwest that still remember it fondly. Uh, sure, it had some, uh, it had, it had its problems, of course, but uh, overall, it was like such a cool new thing. And, you know, there's one thing about people on the internet they love change and they love new things. But, uh, but besides the negativity about some of that stuff, I, I never get tired of talking about that era and that company because. It was just something that, you know, even when I was going through it, I knew that it was like a really special thing to be a part of, and it was going to be a wild ride. I didn't know how long the ride was going to last. It ended up being a couple of years, but uh, it was like, for me personally, it ended up being something good for me to do uh, as far as transitioning out of what I was doing before. And, um, and a lot of people were brought in like yourself from different areas of the country to be a part of it, to be working the office, to be wrestling for it, whatever. And uh, man, it was set up unlike any wrestling company i believe that is out there outside of possibly obviously wwe i don't really under know fully like AEW setup but uh just the way they offered you know benefits the way they had full-time wrestlers living around here and paying for their uh you know their their rent and uh, their food and uh having their own performance center i mean this is all with an independent promotion in the midwest and it was just i mean as you know it's a fascinating thing to be a part of and i think it's something that uh, me and you could talk about with a lot of guests over the coming you know months years on this podcast while we uh really dive into it yeah, absolutely. And and it, I think what is so just so we're laying the groundwork, what we're going to talk about in this week's episode is, like you said, the formation of the NWL, you know, and this is from your perspective, who was there on the ground floor when this thing was being conceived, when the ideas were being thrown around. So this is from your perspective. And obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll pepper in, you know, little perceptive things that I, I came across when I, you know, I first did the uh you know, came up and saw Kansas city and saw where the NWL was situated. But, you know, our intent here is to really give a deeper context and a deeper understanding, which is something that me and you actually talked about. Um, when we were conceiving, you were conceiving this podcast, we actually talked about like, man, there's a lot of meat on the bone with the NWL. And we've, we've thrown, you know, just some BS ideas out before about doing a documentary about, uh, you know, the NWL or somebody needs to th do a documentary because it is such, you will never find another story like this in professional wrestling. And I don't think that that can be, I, I, I can't say that enough, like to have these different people from all, again, from all across the country, from right here in Kansas city to this 
eccentric, I mean, dare I say eccentric, kind of crazy billion, uh, millionaire guy who wanted to leave his mark in Kansas City in a completely different platform to in, in which he started from. Um, I think there's so much meat on the bone, but uh, this week's episode, we're really going to dive in to the formations of the NWL. So Chris, tell me about that, where you were at in your life when you get the phone call um, about this new promotion. We, you know, take us, take us to what, what Chris's life in, in professional wrestling or life in general was like. So, you know, as, as you know, um, and I've told you many times, um, my wrestling career basically started when I was in college, I was going to university of Missouri, went to be a broadcast journalism major and didn't really know what I was going to do with that other than probably do some kind of local sports for a while to figure out what I was going to do. I, I went to school with a guy who lived, um, his parents lived in a town called Norwalk, Connecticut. And I didn't really understand where that was at the time being from here. Um, but he said that his mom, uh, she did some of the she was like a hairstylist or some sort and she did some of the hair of the people that worked at titan tower and she was going to be able to uh get us uh paperwork at least to put in for internships for me and him and i could live with him and live with them over the summer and it was going to be great they only live like a couple miles away from titan tower awesome so we put in for that meanwhile um, he comes back a couple months later and says, Hey, my parents are moving to Minnesota. So I, you can't stay with me. So I called my dad and I'm like, Hey, if I get this internship still, can I go? And he's like, sure. My parents are really supportive on all that stuff. So end up getting, uh, interviewed. I was told by this guy named Matt DeLuca, who was a great guy, was head of HR for WWF at the time. He said, hey, just don't tell people you're a fan, which I always thought was funny. That The rumors are true. They don't really like you to be a huge fanboy up there. Uh, so anyway, I went up and worked up there. So I was up there, worked in the capacity of the television studio, WWF.com, and then creative television for the better part of six years. So I get out of there in 2003. And I come back home and I start working for a, a cable channel here in Kansas City. At the time, it was called Metro Sports Kansas City. Uh, I was owned by Time Warner Cable. And there um, I started working as a sports reporter. But while we were working there and I started getting up the ranks there, uh, they, they we, had a, we had like two 24-hour stations that we could program. And it was really cool. I loved being able to like put up new programs and stuff. And one thing that I wanted to do was do a documentary on Central States Wrestling. And that's where I ended up doing uh, Casey on the mat. And I wanted to interview all these guys before they got too old and passed away because they were getting that at that age at that point. So I get to do that. Spinning out of that was uh, my boss saying like, hey, we had a huge turnout for this documentary that we had at Memorial Hall. Is there any th way that you think we could do this again? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, like a wrestling show. And I said, well, you know, long story short, the logistics of it, liability-wise, Time Warner Cable wasn't going to back. But they said if I did the wrestling, if I, if I could put on a wrestling live event, they would uh, allow me to videotape it and edit it during my working hours and put it on as a program on our station. So that's how Metro Pro Wrestling started. It was Metro Sports. And so Metro Pro was an easy chanting title. And we ended up uh, having that show on for basically from 2010 until 2016 now 2016 um at the time 
I was getting a little burned out on running an independent promotion. Uh, I had had a ton of guests in. We were it's doing. It's not that very- tough. What are you talking about? <laughs> we were doing, as you know, it's yeah. it takes a lot. It's like it's stressful. There's money involved, all this stuff, and you know, you do it for the love of it, which all the indie promoters out there are doing it for, and it's really fun to do. But you know, as you get older and your priorities change, for some people, I was married, had a, a couple kids at the time, and uh, you know, it's just it wasn't something that I was going to continue doing forever. It was you could have run, I could have ran that show the same way we had it for eons. And, you know, but to me, that really wasn't like a big, a big feather in my cap to continue doing the same thing for decades. So um, also at the same time, they were starting to cut cable, you know, like people were going to stream these new streaming things. What's Netflix, all these things going on. And so I was really, you know, looking at other things I could possibly do with my life uh, outside of working for a cable channel, because uh, it obviously was changing and I wasn't going to move because my wife had a good job in Kansas city. So I wasn't, you know, I had to find something else. So weirdly enough, out of the blue, I get an email from a lawyer. And at first, you know, I think these are all like spam or bots or something. You don't know who it's from. And it's from this guy. And he says, I have a client that uh, would like to talk to you about possibly doing a, a regional wrestling company around here. Wanted to get your input, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Sure. You know, I, I'd love to talk to him, whatever. And, um, okay. Pause real quick. Yeah. Pause real quick off. So you're, 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 you're running Metro sports or, or Metro pro, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the wrestling scene is, is kind of in a, you know, I mean, Indies were still running pretty hot. There was, there, there was a burgeoning, you know, um, ring of honor was doing good business. You know, there was, there was some things happening around, uh, the wrestling scene at this time, but you're starting to get burnt out and you get this email from this lawyer at first, were you really like, you had to have been skeptical being around oh, the God. wrestling business yeah. for so long. We, we, we can start smelling carny a mile away and bad <laughs> carny. Right. So you must've been like, uh, you know, so take us through that. When you were reading this email, did you, did you automatically think like, this is going to be a scam of some, (laughs) well, as you know, I'm pretty damn cynical. So when I was reading this, I know it's weird, but uh, when I was reading this, I was like, um, you know, the same thing everyone says, Oh, just another money Mark uh, guy getting involved. Doesn't know what he's doing. Mm. Now he's sending some, you know, like my wife is a lawyer. So of course, when, <laughs> right. if you're, if you're around, <laughs> I forgot lawyers, about that. <laughs> if you're around lawyers, you don't necessarily get like, Oh my God, he's a lawyer. You know, right. you don't feel, you don't feel that way anymore because I've been around lawyers and they, they range everywhere from awesome to stupid. So, you know, it doesn't, it, it, when you're a kid, you think all lawyers are like, you know, you know, the, the Great, the smartest people in the world, nope. like doctors, right? But nope. they're not. Um, some are, but some aren't. Uh, but anyway, so like I didn't know anything about this, but um, I was like, what did he have his buddy write a little letter on a letterhead <laughs> saying that you know, of course I was skeptical about it, as as it would anyone in my position would have been. Um, so yeah, I but I I brought home, talked to my wife about it, I remember, and she was just like, well, might as well just, you know, see where see what it's all about. I'm like, there's nothing harm, no harm in that. So of course we did that. And um so I ended up uh 
calling him and talking to the lawyer. And I basically had like a sort of an introductory interview with the lawyer uh, asking me all about like how I was running the the Indies. Um, they, they knew about uh, Metro pro. They knew about my documentary. They knew about my background from WWF. Cause it had been, you know, some local news articles and stuff like that. It's not really hard to find stuff about that. So they knew I had a background in it and I happened to be here. And the guy that wanted to put this together happened to be here as well. And he was a businessman in Kansas city. He wanted to base it out of here possibly. And he just wanted to get some input, see if I was in, interested in even being a even just a consultant in it. I'm like, sure. You know? Um, so there was a lot of sort of like, uh, you know, red tape between me and, and meeting this guy before I even met him just because mm. they were really trying to vet it out before, you know, because as you know, just because you run an independent promotion doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a, not an idiot either. Right. So um, amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, having a conversation with the lawyer, he said, I'll get back to you. And then, uh, we set up, a, another phone call. And this time it was with the attorney and his client, who was a guy with this name, this weird name, major Baisden. And I thought, is this like his title? Like, is he, a, is he in the military? You know, like, I didn't know what major I'd never heard anyone named major before. And, uh, it was just Still a weird it. name, you know, like, I mean, like, it's not, I don't expect Joe Smith, but I wasn't expecting major Baisden, but, uh, uh, so, of course, a quick Google search of Major Bazin, and you look that he's been a really successful businessman in the world of technology. And, uh, I mean, you can read articles about Major Bazin right now saying that he helped facilitate the sale of a couple of tech companies that equaled, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars combined. So it was, uh, I was like, wow, this guy's legitimate. You know, this isn't just some dude that his mom died and left him $100,000. Uh, this is a guy that actually knew uh, something about business and actually wanted to put some money towards something in wrestling. Now, I will say when I first talked to Major, uh, I probably came across again, like you would uh, assume as pretty cynical about wrestling <laughs> as far as it being a big money maker. Um, I do think indie wrestling and wrestling uh, can make money to a degree uh, if you have low expectations and your overhead is pretty low. But, um, you know, I had never I, I remember going into it with Major and talking to him about it because I he gave me all these ideas. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the, the overriding thing I always thought was, look, I am skeptical that this is going to actually work, but. Who am I to tell this guy who's had so much business experience and so much success that your idea and throwing money and making it into a, a corporation, a business hierarchy of people uh, is not going to work at all. Uh, it, he seemed like a very energetic, uh, fun guy, uh, very you know innovative dude. And I was just like, this, this seems like a really fun situation. So after meeting with him and talking with him and, uh, you know, having that a couple of times, I actually ended up meeting, uh, for my next interview with them, I ended up meeting him and, uh, Rob Messerly, who you remember. Yep. And Rob Messerly was a friend of majors and Rob was a, uh, they had both went to the, they were uh, alumni from the same college. They both went to college in California and um, they were different ages, but they had met at, I think an alumni function here before. And Rob was uh, also a successful guy in the world of business. He had uh, helped sort of, you know, financially steer people sort of more of like a CFO type of guy. 
Um, and, uh, he was very smart, middle-aged guy. Um, you know, I, again, you see uh, major who's a couple years younger than me. And then you see Rob, who's like, uh, you know, in a suit and looks like very professional. And we met at Tannen, which is a, a, oh, a, a wine bar yeah. that, uh, that major owns, owns still, I believe. And, I believe so. um, so we met there and, and sort of finalized the deal that I was going to go work for him. Um, and so let, uh, let, let's let's backtrack a little bit because when when you look at or when you meet, let's just say that when you meet Major Bazin, and I mean by anybody on the street, Major is a very charismatic person. Sure. Um, however, when you're in a business type of situation with Major, Major can be described as um gruff at times. Um, maybe uh maybe not having a filter maybe being a little bit too much of a straight shooter. What was your immediate reaction meeting major in person? Because phone calls are phone calls, all that kind of stuff. When you meet major in person, what was your first like sense of this guy? Was, did you know that, you know, he, you know, what was the vibe that you got from him? Basically is what I'm trying to ask. Super confident guy. Um, like he, uh, walks into a room, commands the room because yes. he has had a lot of success in his life and he's pretty confident. Um, you know, he'd, uh, like I said, he was, he, I knew he was around my age. He was, he was ended up being, uh, two or three years younger than me. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, I'm not really, you know, I've been the good thing about having the jobs I've had with being around Vince McMahon on a daily basis and being around some huge superstars in sports. It's like, I don't really get too excited about anything. Right. <laughs> like, right. um, nothing's really a huge deal to me anymore, which is good and bad. But, uh, the meeting him was, it was cool. Like I, I, I had never met someone like him at this level. At this point I had been in quote unquote independent wrestling for six years and, um, you know, starting with basically no knowledge of running an independent wrestling promotion when I started and to this point and seeing how it worked and seeing how that world was. Um, it's definitely not something that you would expect someone like major basin to sort of want to get involved in. And he didn't really want to get involved in it at the same level as uh as a Metro pro, obviously he was going to be a much bigger deal, but he was, um, he was confident. He, he, uh, he walked in, he's a tall, thin dude, you know, he, uh, is a big vapor and, uh, he, <laughs> he, is. he just, he's, uh, sort of like, um, you know, looks like, a. James Bond guy, sort of, he doesn't really say a lot, uh, at first, you know, but he's, he's very, um, you know, straightforward and blunt. And I like that. I enjoy that kind of conversation because I can be that way as well. So, um, it's, it, I like not, I'm not going through the guessing games with people and he does not leave any guessing games on the table. So I, um, I enjoyed it. It was like a, it was a cool meeting. And like I said, Rob was a, a middle-aged guy who uh, looked super professional. And, and here I am meeting him at this like downtown wine bar and um, that he ends up owning and they work together on. So I was like, this is pretty impressive going into this, of course. So it, during this courting process, I mean, you're, 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 you're talking about meeting major and, and, and some of the key, uh, key players early on. Is he, has he at this point in the story, has he laid out, a comprehensive vision or was there a key point in that vision that got you to sign up? 
Um, basically he, they were asking my opinion about a lot of budget stuff for like a typical indie show, you know, I, and I, and I told him how it was, of course, uh, that can mean different things to different people. Yep. Um, you can spend a lot of money here, a lot of money here, not a lot of money here, whatever. And they, they sort of wanted a typical budget, uh, typically what I did, um, you know, like, and then yeah, of course it went into personal stuff, like what I would need, like financially for myself just to work there. But, uh, they wanted to know a lot of, they wanted to understand a lot of just the business side of running like a small wrestling company, like we were and, um, and understanding that he did lay out, uh, the plan of what he en- envisioned. I mean, it was, and again, it was just <laughs> looking back, it was, uh, unbelievable what he wanted to do you know i mean it was at at, a, at this level was just unheard of as far as okay he wanted to structure it like a real corporation he wanted to have uh you know because i'd already been at wwf years ago so now I, he wants to sort of have a mini version of that he wants to have a, a guy that works on merchandise details you know design we have a design guy that does stuff for all the logos of our wrestlers and 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 the logo of the actual business and all that stuff we have a person that's in charge of the you know the attire for the wrestlers and just stuff around the office we had a person that was going to be in charge of the financials and the paying for stuff and all that and then you had uh, creative which was going to be myself and another guy who i'd never heard of or met before named travis bowden and i didn't know who that was they said he had just uh signed with the company before me and uh he had already was coming from memphis to live here and i you know i was going to meet him and um and he had a he had ideas for having a a, an office building in downtown Kansas city where we were going to have, you know, sort of a state of the art technological place where we could shoot our promos there, edit all the content there. Uh, and then we were also going to have a performance center in North Kansas city that uh, was going to basically be a full fledged gym. I mean, showing me these, you know, um, these ideas he has on paper, as far as uh, the, the blueprints of the buildings that they're going to rearrange to make it like a gym with a kitchen and a locker room and a place where they can watch video and they can cut promos in the back. And we sort of worked with each other to sort of help with some of the details on that. But he had a vision of all that before I even met him. And, uh, you know, it was just, and this was before the performance center at, in Orlando became uh, what it is now, you know, this is, this is before that. So um, it was interesting. I mean, yeah. it was very enticing and something that was like, is this real in Kansas city? Was it the enticing part of it that got you in or was it, was there a particular idea, thought or something, a linchpin that you were like, okay, I can get on board with this because Chris, you're not a very gullible person. Don't know if you're aware of that or not. And, and, and you usually more often than not have skeptical, what I call skeptical hippo eyes, especially on people in the wrestling business. What was it that got you to sign on? I, I think it was, there was a several things. It wasn't just one thing. It was like, um, I, my career in, at Time Warner Cable was going to change at some point in the near future due to the te- technological changes going on there. So I knew I was going to have to do something else anyway. Uh, wrestling was not a idea in mind at the time. Of course, when I, after I left WWE, I always thought like, would I ever, like, you always have these fleeting thoughts of like, would I ever like entertain working there again ever, you know, cause I still know people there and blah, blah, blah. But I never thought wrestling would be any part of a, a job for me ever again in my life. And so, but as, 
as detailed by what happened in my life, I've always wanted pro wrestling to be involved uh, with me. And that's why I started doing an independent promotion. Again, you don't do it for the money. You do it for the love of it and just enjoying to be around wrestling. And that's what I was doing. So of course, like I still wanted to be a part of wrestling. Here's a new opportunity. We started talking about, you know, salary. Um, It was going to be, uh, he was going to pay me well. Uh, I was going to be guaranteed a certain amount of time on that. So to me, it was sort of like uh, I had a wife that had a good career. I was in a situation where I could take a risk and a chance at that point in my life. And my wife was totally behind it because uh, we had sort of gone through a similar situation with her as far as risk taking uh, that worked out for her. So I was just in a situation where I could do it. And uh, I sort of threw all sort of... um, uh, you know, care to the wind at that point uh, after, you know, it all looked pretty dang legitimate and it does not hurt to have a, an attorney as your spouse, because that way everything can be checked out ahead of time, whether it's background checks or, you know, financial checks or whatever. And, um, you know, contracts were signed and it just, uh, it just was came at the right time in my life. It did. Okay. And so, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on with, uh, you know, uh, progressing the story, but I got so many questions about what your thought process was during this time. Was there a point where you like thought like, yes, uh, was there an idea that you thought maybe wasn't going to work, but the whole of the idea was, uh, I mean, did you feel like this had legs enough to ca- to carry through the next couple of years in its infancy? Well, you know, I went, I went in this, in this time at the beginning, like I was a straight shooter with major. I told him, I said, look, I don't think this is going to work because I just don't think that it's going to make money because I, and, and major just had that, you know, smile on his face because, you know, who am I to tell him it's not going to work. Right. And I get it. I understand why he'd feel that way. Uh, I'm talking from a low level independent promoter at the time uh, perspective, because I think I don't care what kind of independent promoter there is out there. There's very few, if at all, that could realistically have a really good career, really good salary running independent promotion. It's just not, (laughs) it's It's not a thing. It's not even a thing. Like, I mean, I don't even know like GCW, can they really do that with, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about anybody, but I know the way that we ran it, which was pretty damn tight. It would be really hard to be able to run a a company like that. And I told him like, look, you have, you want to, I mean, he's laying out all this stuff. That's unbelievable. And like, he wants to hire full-time wrestlers. We're going to give them uh, gimmicks with the company. We're going to have them, um, you know, they're going to be living here. Uh, we're, we'll take them. We'll, we'll interview people all over the country. We're going to have a television show. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to have the, these two different offices that cost thousands of dollars a month to rent. You know, we're going to have a full fledged gym. We're going to have people pay rent over there. They're going to pay their gym fees and all that stuff. And like, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. So he had a lot of, in his mind, revenue stream ideas that were going to be coming in. And because he had a lot of capital up front, there were some possibilities of, and, and he went into this well aware that we are going to be in the red for X amount of time. And that's totally okay. You know, it's a, it, it, that's, I expect that it's a startup. We're not going to be making money for a while. Uh, but I, I have sort of figured that at this rate and this many people per show and blah, 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 we can start hitting the black at this point. And that was months and months down the road. And, you know, I don't, I've never lived that way because I don't, I don't mortgage my family on, on indie wrestling. So I've never started a business 
business like this. And I knew I didn't know his complete financial personal, you know, level, but I knew that he had enough money uh, based on these articles I read about him that I knew he'd be safe to risk some money on something to see if it worked or not. So, you know, I, I told him I didn't think it would work, but who am I to tell him that it wouldn't work based on the level and, and the amount of stuff that he wanted to do. And so I went into it, I, you know, for me, pretty open-minded as far as I'm going to see what this guy could teach me as far as, um, you know, other things about business that I've, by the way, he taught me a ton about business. He did like, I'm just going into my own business now. Like so many things I learned from major Basin because he is such a business guy. Um, you know, like how to, you know, all the different revenue streams, how to, uh, you know, Dan Geyer talked about it, like how to uh, pinpoint, he was big on pinpointing uh, social media marketing strategies, you know, like uh, there's so, so many things I learned from him that you just sort of pick up along the way. And, you know, I thought, look, he has a a pretty damn good network of people who he can call and, and, you know, work with and get answers from and all this, that it was very exciting. It was, it was, it was super exciting out of left field to, to get this call from this guy and to be given a second opportunity to work full-time in pro wrestling. I thought it was pretty cool. I, it was hard for me to say no. You hit the lotto two times. That doesn't yeah. happen. Nobody huh. in this world has the opportunity not only to make a full-time living in wrestling, not just once, but twice. So yeah, I can definitely see why you'd be a little bit. And, and, and Chris, I, you, you may say otherwise, and I've, I've tried to tell people this, you love the re- the territory, so to speak. You love sure. the territory in the world. So I think part of this absolutely has to be you being like, if we can turn this around finally, hell yeah. You know, I mean, of course, if we can finally make Kansas City something special in the world of pro wrestling, sign me up. Because, again, I've only been here uh, seven years now. Jeez Louise. Um, I've been here seven years. And even I have that sense of Kansas City pride where I always want Kansas City to do something better because I see the potential um, with this city and, and I always want the city to do better. So, um, I, I, yeah, I can see why you would want to uh, jump on board with something. So major has this grandiose plan. He has, he has a performance center. He wants to move wrestlers here. He wants to pay for their groceries. He wants to pay for their rent. He wants to do all this kind of stuff. You have these key central figures, um, kind of starting to be in place. When's the first time that you meet uh, Travis Scott Bowden? Uh, okay, so that, you know, I ended up, it was sort of halfway, uh, it was mid-2016. So I'd say yeah. June or July is when all this stuff was going down at first. And um, so I end up going into the office to meet everybody. And um when NWL started, it was very much run like you would be walking into, um, gosh, like uh, something on Wall Street or something. Yeah, like a, a, a high. It's, it's so different than what it what it turned out to be and what people are used to now, like working from home in their slippers and stuff. You know, it's like you had to go in there, and I had to buy. Um, I had suits from being in TV and stuff, but it was like we dressed up. Like you worked, you went to an office building in Kansas City and went to your work. 
work in a, you know, whether it's a suit or some kind of like, definitely like a button up shirt, possibly tie and, and slacks. And that's what you wore. So we went in there and um, they were still sort of doing construction on the offices. And uh, they showed me where my office, uh, they let me pick an office and um, I picked that one and it was right next to Travis. And uh, I, I meet Travis for the first time. And Travis was a... Um, for those of you who are Memphis fans, you might know the name, but he was a guy that grew up in the Memphis area. He ended up, I ended up finding out that he went to school with a guy uh, who knew major really well, uh, who were business sort of partners with major and other things. And so um, he had recommended him to major when major was talking to him about this. So that's why Travis was sort of one of the first guys involved because um, of that connection. So Travis uh, used to be a manager in Memphis, uh, got to rub elbows. I think he managed Lawler for a little bit of time. Um, So it was, we're talking the mid mid nineties, I'd say. And, uh, so he loved wrestling as well. He was a big fan of the Memphis territory. And, uh, when I met him, it was, uh, it was cool. It was sort of like you're seeing the assembly of sort of a major's team. And this was a guy that was much like you gay brought in from a different state to come and, and sort of fulfill this. And it started becoming very real because, uh, you know, people are obviously uprooting where they lived to come here. Uh, his wife actually stayed back in Memphis, uh, with their house. And he was going to do this deal where he was, uh, going to work like a week on week off or two weeks on two weeks off a month, uh, end up going and working from home and in Kansas city. Cause he, I I'm assuming his wife and everyone was sort of, uh, skeptical of just uprooting everything to do the startup. So they were sort of making, uh, you know, changes in their life to make this work out for the, for the temporary time. Now, did they eventually move to L.A.? Because I know it was actually an L.A. to Kansas City commute uh, when I came out here. Sorry, my, you're absolutely right. They lived in L.A. at the time. He was from Memphis. That's where all this started. They lived she, in L.A. She, so she his wife lived a, in L.A. Right. She was a PR person for a famous rock group, if I remember. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and so she stayed in L.A. He came here. He would, he would go back and forth. And, um, yeah, it, that's how it started with him and um it was interesting like uh sort of get his perspective he was very much a old school territory guy and he was a huge nwa guy and i was a huge wwf guy and um we had he was was right you were wrong (laughs) i know you're i know the way you swing on that but uh (laughs) but yeah it was uh it was it was cool to meet him and like i said it was starting to put together the team to have nwl go forward so when you um so who was who was um initially involved in the in the start of the company so you have so so far we know the key players are Rob Messerly who was what the finance guy am I am I correct in saying that yeah, I, I don't know. I forget what his exact title was, but he was he was uh, sort of the business head of business as far as uh, looking at budgets and, you know, helping out with the financial end of things. Um, the creative part was going to be 
myself and Travis, and it wasn't just creative. I, he also had to work on relationships with like sort of media marketing and stuff. And I was more on logistics side of, you know, getting the talent together, getting some venues booked. This was going to be my job going forward as this thing was getting off the ground. I do want to step back and do one other side yeah, story. Absolutely. The first time that I ended up uh, uh, actually spending time with major outside of what the interviews I was talking about, he invited uh, me and my wife to his suite at Arrowhead for Guns N' Roses. Okay. Oh, so, wow. So I, so of course, Stacy was like, well, that's awesome. Well, let's go. You know, and she's like, if this is going to be how it is, this is, I'm all for it, you know, <laughs> whatever. Cause it was such a cool thing. So we got to go there and meet uh major and this, like all, you know, of course major does everything in style. So it was like booze and food and everything there. And there's guns and roses playing inside arrowhead. So that was the first meeting. So there was nowhere else to go really, but down because that was a pretty awesome start. Um, so that's how it all began. But going back to the the office, it was Travis and me. Uh, I was more logistics and creative. He was uh, sort of a marketing guy and creative. Because he had copy, Rob- he did copyrights, right? Or he or co- he would write copy for press releases. Is that correct? Correct. He would do press okay. releases. He would try to get uh, as much like media attention as he could and whatever you know facet like whether it's online or in papers or whatever uh messer rob messerly was the um the sort of the business head business financial guy uh major obviously was part of everything so it made it's hard to pigeonhole major major into one thing because he was the owner and overseeing everything in this startup a startup company for people that have never been involved in one is very interesting it's very cool because you're a small group of people it's very common in like uh tech companies you know and that's what major was part of and of course he came from that but uh the startup thing is sort of like you're all in this together you're sort of assembled and you have like a huge mountain to get over because there's this is going to be a a bumpy ride trying to get this business off the ground but you are really uh I've, i've been in a few situations like this in my life where you have a core group of people that are really working hard and you get to be really close with those people uh because you're working constantly together and that's what this was um and uh, we knew that it, it might fail, it might it might succeed. Hopefully, it would. Um, you know, we're going to be spending a lot of time together and and working a lot, and uh, it was fun. Other people that were also involved were. Brian Burke, who I had met at Arrowhead, he was a friend of Majors. Uh, he ended up being a design guy that would design merchandise and logos and all of that. Um, Marcy Fritz, she was a gal who uh, Major had worked with before as well, and she was uh, uh, she was involved in a lot in logistics as well. She would uh, like she would go on to sort of work on people's uh, getting gear done for people, getting some uh, you know props that we needed for angles or or. or or, you know, vignettes we were going to shoot. And, uh, you know, frankly, that was about it at first. That was the group. I mean, it's so it's so interesting to think about uh, Major wanting to start this company, not only in Kansas City, as we all well know at, at this point, the worst territory in the world. Um, but he, he, you know, he has these grandiose visions and again, it's hard not to get caught up in it. And, and let me tell you something from firsthand experience from a guy that was just literally supposed to be the commentator backstage guy from, uh, now and again, like major can woo you. I mean, and for just a nobody like me, he picked me up from the airport in a limo. 
Sure. You know what I mean? And like, I'm nobody. And so it, it's, it, it would be hard. Again, the tech startup thing is really exciting. It, it, it's so hard to, to like, even if he did sell us a bill of goods and all this BS, it's hard not to get swept up in the excitement of it all. You're working downtown. You, you, you know, you have these grandiose plans in place. He's courting you at Arrowhead stadium. I, I, I mean, the first time I walked into your guys' office, I remember being like, Oh my God. Like yeah. this is a bit, this is a business. I expected to go into some back alley and meet Chris Goff there and major based in. They're like, well, the studio's not up and running kid, but here's a TV and we'll, we'll do the matches right here. But I walked into a legitimate card. Like here's, here's this amazing building in the middle of downtown Kansas city. It's just, it was such an anomaly i'm sure not only for you coming in you know into this outside of the wwe but um just kind of the 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 business world in general so we have these key players these uh, core group of people that are starting this this group with major is there in the early stages did you feel like there was one particular thing again i like narrowing down on things was there one particular thing that you're like this might be the death nail early on like a red flag early on um, no, not necessarily. I mean, okay. I, I wasn't looking at it. Um, I had sort of like, uh, thrown precaution to the wind as far as like, I'm in it, I'm joined, I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna hopefully help this work out. Um, I'm going to bring as much experience and expertise as I can to this. Um, you know, I, it was, it was, uh, I mean, as, as we go on, there were obviously some things that, um, maybe I didn't necessarily agree with, but there he had, you know, major had a vision for what he wanted to do. Um, You know, one of the biggest visions that we haven't talked about was he wanted this to sort of be, he wanted Kansas city to sort of be a blueprint of how he wanted this to go around the rest of the country. Um, You know, he first, he, he, he being from uh, you know, living in Kansas city, he obviously understood the sports connection that Kansas city has with St. Louis um, that's died throughout the decades. When we were younger, it was a much bigger deal, but uh, Kansas, you know, the Royals and Cardinals in 85 and everything uh, that's always been like the two sides of the state, sort of, if we were going to have a natural rivalry, it's with St. Louis. So uh, he wanted to sort of have a situation where we would have Kansas city versus St. Louis, and we were going to, to build these two brands um it was you know it was going to be uh fight kc ended up being and fight stl and he basically from we'll talk about those more specifically later but from that he wanted it to sort of start here and then he had done research on some of the areas in america that were more uh pro- a more fertile ground of a place to have something like this that didn't necessarily have a lot of the an influx of professional teams and semi-professional teams but could still like uh, be a big enough population town to uh support something like this with a natural rival town close to it so he had these sprinkled all around the country that he wanted to sort of go and branch out to whether it was the northwest or texas or southwest south Southeast, Northeast. I mean, he had these specific areas all around America that he wanted to do. And it was all going to start with the blueprint that started here in Kansas City and St. Louis. 
And, um, you know, that was cool. I mean, I mean, when you're looking at that long term, you know, that was the first time that I had really worked uh, with someone on a business level, not just, you know, wrestling at WWF. We we had to deal with like a year out or whatever on on, on doing WrestleMania and let's book backwards. But for wrestling at a business level with this, he had some long, long term goals. And, uh, you know, that was cool. This again, all stuff that I had not I had worked in corporate America and I had I had been a middle manager of some sort, uh, but I had never been involved in this kind of planning of these kind of like really long term goals that were huge. Uh, uh, that uh, that you got to see his full vision of something, and that was something that uh, was really cool about Major. So he so he has this vision of a and correct me if I'm wrong, a sports based presentation based on uh, interstate or inner county or city rivalries. Is that correct? Correct. He wanted uh, he it, it was a. It, I mean, it was he wanted to have a sports based uh, sort of old school vibe on the wrestling, and he wanted to tie that into the sports rivalries of uh, of the cities that they were in. So, you know, as we all know, the 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 ones that knew you know uh, NWL well, fight KC versus fight STL. It was we were making our own. I had been with WWF when they did the brand split with Raw and SmackDown, so that, that sort of reminded me of this. It was like we're going to have a roster of guys. Some are going to be based in Kansas City. Some are going to be based in St. Louis. Uh, the people that are going to be full-time, which we'll, we'll talk about, but there was going to be an X amount of full-timers that were going to be based in Kansas city. Cause that was our hub of the two towns. But uh, these two were going to face each other uh, and have sort of a rivalry that sort of mimicked uh, sort of the sports rivalry. Yeah. So um, when we're talking about this um, you know, these initial plans, these initial steps going into it, was there, um, a particular conversation that you may have had with major was he a big wrestling fan or was he more looking at this as a gigantic gap in the market and an opportunity so both uh he, he was a he was a big wrestling fan and okay. major major is uh not necessarily the demographic of wrestling fans uh he's a mixed race guy and um he he was a big urban guy you know he loved like being in the cities and he loved he didn't like uh, he wasn't a suburban guy at all right so he um he didn't match like what you would he loved nascar and like and and wrestling and stuff that necessarily just by looking at him you wouldn't think oh of course you know but right. uh right. <laughs> but he he liked wrestling a lot he was a big long-term wrestling fan uh he would tell me stories of like how he would be on the road or his other businesses and he'd meet up with these wrestlers and he would you know uh have like really cool stories with him at the hotel bar or whatever. Like he was a, he was a big fan, but he was also a guy that wanted to get involved in sort of professional sports as an owner of some sort. He was a huge baseball fan and you'll still see the guy sitting behind home plate at Kauffman stadium because he still, uh, as far as I know, still has uh, season tickets of some sort uh, to the baseball games. Cause he was a huge baseball fan and he, his favorite team was the Cincinnati Reds. And he, you know, before he got involved in NWL and he was getting out of his tech stuff, he had obviously had quite a resume. He had a network of people that could help him too, as far as financially. So it was like he wanted to get involved in owning a baseball team. Now he knew that he wasn't going to be a, you know, multi-billionaire that it takes to do it in this day and age, but he wanted to be, you know, a small owner of, in a, in a world of, Lots of owners of, you know, of course, the uh, Kansas City Royals at this point have what, a hundred owners, you know, including Patrick Mahomes and a bunch of other people. He wanted to be involved, something like that. Right. 
And, uh, but I think he sort of came to the conclusion, if I recall correctly, that, um, he was going to be such a low level minority owner as far as shares that he, um, would rather own like his own thing that he could have fun with like a wrestling company than he would, uh, you know, be sort of like low man on the totem pole as far as money is involved. Uh, and these big core, you know, big corporations or huge multi-billionaires are going to be owning baseball teams. So I think he decided, you know what, I'm not going to spend my money on that. I want to do something fun. What do I love? I love wrestling. I love baseball. I love this. And he ended up settling on, on doing this, uh, this, man. this, this plan for wrestling. Wow. So is it, so we have this core group of people, you're going into the office in downtown Kansas City. The construction is still going on. Where, at what point did the vision start start really ramping up to where we're adding um, other key players? Um, you know, you got the core office group. Yeah, how long does it take to start really going? Okay, we're 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 going to start going. We're we're going to start going live with this idea here real quick. Well, we had sort of. He sort of had a. I, I'm not the best with dates, but I believe that we were trying to shoot for starting right in January of 2017. Which and we so, in, which we, and so that was our, that was our date to get it going. So we had like a, you know, a, a deadline, if you will, to get to that point. So okay. when we started in mid 2016, um, you know, it was all about, uh, assembling a roster of guys, you know, after we all sort of got on the same page and understood what we were going to be doing going forward, uh, we, we were going to assemble a roster of guys. We were going to have to find, um, you know, uh, venues in the towns that we were going to run. We were going to uh, have to come up with uh, one thing that I thought was really cool for him and a lot of the wrestlers. Well, I'd say most wrestlers are cool with it. Some of them did not agree with this. And I think it's just lack of experience and not really, understanding the big picture but uh he wanted um he was okay you know we were gonna he, his idea was we're gonna have like eight or ten full-time wrestlers that are under contract with the nwl that are going to get paid a salary with benefits are going they That's can crazy. choose whether or not they want to have their uh their living quarters paid for as part of their pay or they can take the extra money and go get it somewhere else uh, or they can, and then they could get their food paid for as well for, you know, cause these guys go through what, like a million chicken breasts a month. So, um, you know, they would have, they could sort of guess on, they could sort of pick and choose how they were going to slice up their contract. But at the end of the day, eight to 10 guys and gals were <laughs> going to have a full-time contract and, uh, the rest of it was going to be sort of independent contractors, you know, uh, major sort of had done some research on the independent contractor situation based on WWF. And that's something that Vince and everyone that's a Vince detractor has brought up against him a lot that how can he have these people be independent contractors, but he won't allow them to work anywhere else. And all these other rules that he puts on them and major sort of thought that Vince McMahon was doing that illegally, you know? So, um, and technically I think he's right, but nobody really wants to, or no one really has successfully uh, gone against Vince on that. But major with that said, major was going to allow um, other people to work with us, but they could still work other companies. And in, in order to make it sort of more special to the NWL major wanted to uh, have individual conversations with the wrestlers and talk to them about, Hey, we're going to come up with a new gimmick and name for you based on your interests and like ideas that you may have a lot of, they would have a lot of input on this. And he said, but you're going to use just that gimmick 
for NWL and all the other indies that you work in the, you know, quad state area, you're going to be able to use your other name. You just, you, but you can't use this name there and vice versa. Right. So um, I thought that was a cool idea because at least you have a little difference. At least you, you, you know, and I thought it was a good, uh, you know, I thought it was a good creative outlet for the wrestlers. I mean, they could be different, different places. I thought that would do nothing but help them really, as far as long-term sort of getting better at things. And like I said, most agreed with that. Some didn't. And, um, and, and the trade-off being you're a full-time contracted wrestler with us. And I'm speaking of the full-time guys, we're giving you all these benefits. So again, whoever gets signed to those contracts, you're hitting the wrestling lottery, right? And in exchange, you just got to be, you got to work out. You, or, you know, maintain your body to some degree and, you know, do these promos and do these. I mean, it's, it's, it, nobody was doing that at the time. And, and I don't think you, as far as like, uh, you know, contracted wrestler with benefits, because correct me if I'm wrong, most wrestlers, even if you're at a Steve Austin level, while WWE will pay for a blown knee or something, they're not giving you health benefits or insurance. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. As far as I know, that's how it was when I was there. I mean, I, I don't know all their individual contracts. Maybe some guys get that treatment now. I, I don't know. But as far as it's still an independent contractor situation, as far as I know. And like, you know, even I, I, I've heard that AEW does do some of that. And maybe that's only for the like executive vice presidents or whatever that get that kind of benefits. I don't know if they're regular, like regular roster, get that kind of treatment. But um, this was an undertaking that people don't really understand how hard it is to get professional wrestlers insurance, because you have to obviously be honest about what they're doing, which is a very high risk uh, profession. And not a lot of companies in America, I found out right. when you really dig into it, there's not a lot of insurance companies that that will ensure a professional wrestler. <laughs> so uh, it's not cheap. It's very expensive. And, um, you know, but he was willing to do that because he, he, that was a big sticking point with him. Major, if whatever you say about Major Bazden, he was a caring guy. He did not want people to get hurt. He wanted people to be taken care of. He was a good dude. Um, you know, like I haven't seen a lot of negativity about Major from the people that work for him, except, you know, people that didn't like the creative or what. Same, same kind of crap that happens on the national level. But yep. as far yep. as a person, Major could be a very, like you said, a, he's a laid back, cool, fun dude, but he could be a very cutthroat business guy, dude, because he is one. He's a huge business guy. And, you know, Major Basin is one of those guys that, um, you know, he is him. He is a, he is cut in the same cloth as Vince McMahon as far as workaholics. I mean, big visions are excellent salespeople, like you said, very, uh, very charismatic can sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo. That's the kind of thing that these both can do. They're very similar in many ways. And that's why I was like working for another, <laughs> another Vince Jr. Sort of in some ways working for him. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was an incredible uh, thing that he was given the wrestlers. So, you, you know, and I think the next time, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end of the, the, the formation of the NWL and next time we'll kind of dive into the wrestlers. And, you know, I really want to dig in deep about, you know, the wrestlers that you saw coming into the fold and maybe we can get juicy and uh, you can reveal some of majors uh, wish list guys um, that he wanted to bring in as full-time wrestlers, but we'll get all into all that in a, in a, in a later episode. But I do want to ask you because, you know, Major has these visions, um, you know, that some of them came to fruition and obviously a lot of them didn't. Was there um, a vision of Major's that you can share with us that you were like, 
this is his, this was his idea of hitting the pinnacle. We, we heard you describe, you know, he wanted to take this to multiple States. Was there a vision of holding a couple thousand seats arena somewhere? Was there a vision of a streaming service or national TV? What were some of the, the overarching like big visions that major had uh, for the NWL? I mean, I think he had all, so you know, a version of everything you just said. I mean, one thing I've learned about business guys like Major and Vince is that, um, you know, you have to shoot for the stars. Even though people think you're crazy, um, you have to continue to try to get there because if you if you automatically go into something thinking it's going to fail, yeah, you're or not not hit that level. <laughs> I mean, it might as well not even try. Right. Um, he he went into that. Uh, he definitely wanted to hit a certain amount of people per show. Um, you know, and, and, and I think one thing that we all found out that was, uh, expensive was customer acquisitions, you know I mean? Finding out how hard it is to get someone. Cause we were, we ended up running shows in Kansas city every other week. Same with St. Louis, um, you know, having, and there we'll get into the iterations of fight club and, and how you could have be sort of a season ticket member, but you know, like getting someone to come out once a month, let alone twice a month to a show that's, you know, going to cost, more than 10 bucks, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, more expensive to get a good seat every, every show. And some people did that. No problem. In fact, in fact, in some of these things, since the NWO has gone out, uh, when you see some of the other people that are sort of uh, reaping the benefits of a smaller group of wrestling fans that are willing to pay a lot of money more now, uh, major was sort of a, the cutting edge of that in some ways, because the, the business was changing in the mid 2010s, you know, it was, it was going more towards uh, ratings continue to fall on TV, going to streaming services. Now it's like um, now the people that will spend a hundred dollars at a show, they're more willing to spend $300 at a show. And you're going to have a lot of the mainstreamers sort of drop off and do other niche projects that they like more. But uh, major was good at, at, at seeing uh, big vision things. Um, he did want, uh, he, we, we wanted to have TV. Of course, we always wanted to have some kind of national television. I called multiple national cable companies and talked with executives about how much would it be to pay for a television spot on your cable network? That's going to be in 80% of America. Um, you know, that happened. I mean, there, there was nothing too big for NWL when it first started. I mean, cause he just had, it, it was ideas like the sky was the limit. And, um, you know, we weren't going to, uh, you know, go in with our tail between our legs. It was like, Hey, we're going to put money into this and it's going to, we're going to have a full fledged company. It's going to be professional. And, um, would you like to, you know, t TV content, even at that time was at a premium, but not nearly as much as it is now. But, uh, you know, I, I, I always think like we talk to streaming services too. We're not talking like little, uh, little fight TV type oh, stuff. We'll, we're get talking, it. we'll get into that. We're talking like Netflix, you know, we're talking about big ones, Hulu, stuff like that. Um, and that, that was like on the table. Um, he had a lot of these big visions like that. And I just think had, had certain other things sort of gone different ways. Uh, some of that stuff could have easily gone, uh, that way, you know, it could have, it could have been successful, um, but uh, uh, we'll talk as, about all that as I totally agree as much as it took a turn for the worse at a certain point. It could, it, we were at a point when the company closed that if we're being honest and we'll get into all this, if we're being honest, we were actually taking a turn for the best. Oh yeah. No, I, 
that that's it. I think uh, the thing that sort of is the most annoying about what people say about the NWL in the years following it is that they all think that major went bankrupt and um, you know, this is all a, uh, he lost all his money and he's sitting in a gutter somewhere. And uh, (laughs) that could be further from the truth. I I just, it, it, that wasn't, it wasn't. And it, it, as a person that was in charge, like sort of a director of operations at the end um, that wasn't the case at all. Uh, The actual wrestling product well, after all these changes we've made throughout the, the year and a half, two years there, and, I'll, and we'll get into it, but personnel changes in the office changed. Um, we had uh, new situations that we bettered for, uh, you know, venues and television uh, contracts and, uh, you know, wrestlers. There were cuts made, definitely. I mean, just like any business. I mean, the, the more I'm involved in this kind of stuff, I I mean, layoffs suck. It sucks for the individual getting laid off, but it is just normal business. I mean, you know, it's not personal. Like there were a lot of changes made in the office. It was, it was, it, and, and frankly, it probably should have been that way from the beginning. You know, there was, it could have been a lot leaner out the gate, but, yes. Uh, yes. but at the very end, as far as uh, attendance was great, um, you know, the ratings shows were successful. Were the ratings on television were off the charts. It would be amazing. I, I don't have any printed out here, but like it was I was always amazed. We were on at 11 o'clock on, uh, on a local station here called The Spot 38. And uh, it was amazing to see the ratings uh, for our Saturday 11 p.m. show. I mean, it was, we were blowing out everyone in, in the local broadcasting market. And uh, it reminded me of like, you know, some of the big moments you talk about when they talk about Memphis or these other people, how great their local TV did. It was going well. And uh, you know, but the problem is with wrestling, it, it, you just, it's hard to get sponsors for wrestling based on it being wrestling. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just, there, there are a lot, uh, and this, these are all things that I would bring up when I first met major. It's just like, no matter how good anything is presented, how, how well something's presented, how, how well you do uh, to make, to clean it up, to make it look like it's something uh, white trash or whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, it has a, a stink on it for, people that don't like it that you either love it or you really hate it and uh it's hard to sell that to sponsors and i think uh much like uh wwe in the later years here they um they sort you know the the older generation loved what we were doing uh younger people did too but i'm sure if you really wanted to break down the demographics it was probably people uh 35 and older that loved nwl more than anything because it was a sort of a throwback show and um you know i was it was there was a lot of positivity at the end of it. There was. Uh, the the very that, very end came out of the left field, but you know, and and I think that's what made it so hard for everybody. And then we'll we'll talk about this, you know, as as episodes progress. I think it's what made it so hard for not only fans but us actually working in the office is that we were starting to hit a real hot streak. Actually, we were like you said, attendance was up. We were working on the arena. Um, we were doing things were starting for the first time in the company's existence. I felt we were clicking on almost all of the cylinders. Uh, the, 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 the team was streamlined and good. And we were, I would say we were on fire. Like 
we had a lot of really good stuff coming and then all of a sudden it closes. So when the fans see the momentum and then we are seeing the momentum, it wasn't like we got the, you know, some of us like you got the Iggy a couple of days before um, the, the business closed, but some of us, I I didn't know it was closing until the day I showed up for work, you know, and, and it, and it was closed. And so I think that's, what's hard for people to deal with is because they saw the hotness. They saw that we were going into different markets with our TV and then all of a sudden it was done. So that was one of the most fun things of it is, is trying to get those uh, working on getting our show and all these little um, television stations around the country. It was fun. I mean, as you recall, we, we got it down in Florida and uh, in Pensacola and there were, yeah. you know, there's yeah. all around the, the country. It was cool to talk to these people uh, that we were getting our show on. We, we started getting quite the syndication uh, yeah. network out there. Yeah. And um, you know, yes, there was, there it was there was just a lot riding on it for a long time um you know you could point your finger at at uh, how things started and how they should have you know right. t- hindsight 2020 what should have started at the beginning but um you know the the end of it actually came more so on a personal level with major than it did the actual company. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. what people just don't understand. Uh, it was doing, it was doing pretty well after yeah. we had cut it to where we had to cut it to survive. We still had full-time wrestlers. We still had uh, everything. We, we cut down to only one office, you know, there's, there was cuts that, that needed to happen. I mean, this is yes. every company, every company yeah. has to go through this when you're learning what makes money, what doesn't, what, you, you know, he told me that from the beginning, something he taught me, he's like, we're going to go here and whatever we're going to put on paper, what we want to do in the next six months. But I'm just letting you know that it's going to change in a completely different direction than you can even fathom right now, based on where we figure out the money is coming from and what is popular, what, what is not. And he's so true. I mean, you can best laid plans are usually like, you know, you can't just keep going down that path. You have to go sniff and see, see where you're successful. And that was something that Major was really good at. He was. Yeah. So the next time we talk about the NWL, we're going to dive into the wrestlers. We're going to dive into the venues of the early days of the NWL. We're going to talk about the press conferences, the invasion of Metro Pro, um, the invasion of St. Louis. And Was it St. Louis Anarchy at the time? Yes, it was. So we're going to talk about all that, like the real, right when we start hitting the ground running um, and the arrival of a young, talented man from California named uh, Ben Miller uh, that you acquired and you in, you are still in awe of my potential to this day. Man, that was such a life-changing day. <laughs> I, what, I don't remember what day it was, but it was really life-changing. It was life-changing that day. But yeah, so I, I am so excited to talk to you in, in more detail about the NWL. And again, um, if you're listening to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us, don't forget to uh, rate and review us. Give us five stars. Let us know what you like about uh, the podcast and we'll keep popping these out for you. Um, we know we have, I've actually had a few wrestling fans from the area say, Oh my God, I listen to the podcast and I love it. So um, we're, we're starting to make a, we're starting to make the rounds a little bit, but you know, uh, maybe the NWL one will, will really put us on the map. <laughs> maybe. I mean, like I said, for the niche audience, like Cornette says, for those who like this, this is something they'll really like. You know, I mean, this is this is like for the people who don't understand it. Totally. I understand it. They're not going to listen to this. But for the people that lived in and were around it and were sort of in awe by what was happening at that short amount of time, it, it was a very fun, cool time. Uh, it was it like literally the best time of my life, professionally, personally, personally. 
Um, it, I, there, it was, I, I mean, I was living the dream and we were, I think to a certain extent, I mean, not you, cause you had been to the dance before, but there was a lot of us that just could not believe, I couldn't believe I made it to the end, first of all, but like, I, I like just, we were just living the dream at the end and it was, yeah, I am forever grateful to major based in. And yeah, I can't wait to talk about it, man. This is, this has been a really fun episode. Like, you know, hearing some of the things that I didn't even know about the formation of the NWL and um, we'll get into the nitty gritty in weeks to come. So are you working on anything uh, as far as uh, interviews or anything that the fans can look forward to? You know, a um, couple guys that I talked with, um, a guy that was here in the later part of the central stage wrestling era, Steve Ray. Um, he's a guy that I want to have on to talk about sort of the ending time of the Kansas city territory. You might remember Steve Ray. He was, uh, he was part of the UWF and he was part of the oh. uh, tales of the, uh, what is it? Uh, dark side Terror of the ring. <laughs> dark side of the ring. He was uh, part of that when they did one on Herb Abrams and the UWF. Yeah, dude, I remember. He had some time through Kansas City. I talked with him. He wants to do an interview. Also, uh, Lord Littlebrook's son, Chris, who oh, wrestled. Wow. Uh, you know, of course, we had his his brother, beautiful Bobby. He wrestled for the NWL. But the other brother, Chris, um, Chris Doobie, he is a uh, guy that he's he he actually wrestled for Bob Geigel in Kansas City. And like I said, Lord Littlebrook's son, who we've talked about this before kansas city was sort of the mecca of midget wrestling in america you know much like we talked about um you know uh the fabulous moolah she was sort of the the queen of all ladies wrestling back in the day where everyone that basically wanted to get booked by the big promotions you know wwf and the like they had to basically get booked through moolah who was had her own little setup at her place and you know had to you know had to go through her uh lord littlebrook was the guy for the midget wrestlers and he wow. was from england but he lived in st joe missouri uh he had two sons that were both midget wrestlers as well beautiful body. Bobby and Chris and uh, they uh, they like I mean but in St. Joe Gabe this is a documentary I always thought would be cool and it, I just never got around to doing it with my <laughs> television station but just St. Louis or uh, St. Joe being the mecca of midget wrestling because you had little Tokyo up there you had um, gosh there was the Haiti kid I mean there was all these people wow. that were up in St. Joe that worked with Lord Littlebrook I mean if you remember just the six man match in and uh, WrestleMania was King Kong Buddy and and um, Hillbilly Jim had the the two midgets with them, little beaver and like Tokyo, little Tokyo, all these guys, they were all like through Lord Littlebrook. And, um, anyway, th- his son is still around. Lord Littlebrook, uh, passed away a few years back. Beautiful Bobby passed away as well. So, um, you know, he's another guy that has a complete different perspective on that era and being part of, uh, a midget wrestling in the wow. Central States. Man, that, that I I think that's actually really fascinating. I can't wait to hear Oh, it is. I think it's a very fascinating thing because it just really doesn't I mean, you see it it doesn't really exist anymore, you know? Like it they still WWF tried to sort of revive it with Max Mini and sort of a had sort tried to make sort of a division there for a while, but I mean, outside of the 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 traveling bar shows that you see at some of these places that I see on Facebook every once in a while, midget wrestling uh on a large scale doesn't really it's, exist. Yeah, it doesn't. And you know, funny fun fact is when we were uh hot, looking at venues for journey um, we actually went, the venue we ended up choosing was because they had midget wrestling that night and we're like, sure, 
all right, if we take the the ring, make it a little bit, you know, logistically, we're like, okay, make this, the ceilings this high. If we make the ring a little bit bigger, because they have a smaller ring, obviously. But yeah, it is still a circuit. It was extreme midget wrestling that was there yeah. um, that night. But yeah, definitely not a thing that is uh, is as popular as it once was. I mean, even when you look at the 80s, there was still a, a good crop of midget uh, workers going through the WWF um you know kind of making the round still but yeah the the whole circuit is kind of this uh, almost underground thing now it's kind of interesting it is so i mean he'll have a different perspective and of course uh many others that we can talk to that have some kind of uh you know even i i still want to talk to our our buddy niles plong craig keesman about his time training with sonny myers who was a huge huge part of central states wrestling for for decades so oh he's got um, great stories about sunny there's just so much that you could talk to people about central states and and the worst territory in the world kansas city that uh you'll you'll really never run out for a very long time of people that have some kind of connection with people that were involved in it so it's uh it's it's fertile ground for a while man Do do you know if craig actually listens to our podcast um of course he does the correct answer is of course he does of of course he does i'm sure i was going to make a technological joke with craig not not that he's not (laughs) but like craig is not a guy that i feel like is uh addicted to his phone because he's too busy doing a million other things but um but yes i'm sure uh if he had extra time he probably would yeah all right well that was uh our first episode of the nwl we thank you guys so much for listening and taking time out of your busy schedules uh to listen everything and anything about the worst territory in the world so for chris goff i'm ben miller and we will see you next time right here on the worst territory in the world bye-bye it's the worst territory in the world